0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Football Digest Daily. Uh, I'm Ned Keaton, joined today by Conor Bromley, my colleague at the Mirror. The transfer window has now firmly shut for the summer. Clubs will have to stick with the players that they've got uh, for the next 122 days or so. What's it, 123 maybe? I don't know when we're counting from uh, until the January window opens. Conor, some clubs, though, they seem to have fared better this summer than others. I mean, I've already got a few in my mind that I'm kind of thinking had good windows and there's several that I'm already thinking of had bad windows and they're, and they're going to be paying the price for it uh, in the next few months. We're going to look through how every club has, has really got on during the last few weeks over the summer window, give them a grade. Uh, we're going to start with Arsenal though, and, you know, we've we've spoken so many times on the various uh, podcast episodes that we've had since the start of the season about Arsenal's transfer dealings, so we might not need to go into it too forensically. Uh, but the general opinion is they have had a bit of a poor window I think you know 160 million spent but the general idea is that they're not really any further down the road and and haven't really progressed as much as maybe they should have I I do want to go back to a good point though that I think Tom Canson said on one of our live streams yesterday yeah he's one of our fan brand editors uh, covering Arsenal um, and he was saying that it was a necessity to spend so much money because they were mismanaged for 10 years that this was needed that this is just to get Arsenal back to the point of, of almost standing still in a way to kind of stop the rot and, and that's why they've had to spend so much money this summer
1: Yeah I think um, he he was quite fair in his point of view where I think Arsenal haven't necessarily went any further forward now but I think long term they've, they've made some, some interest in it and probably signings that will do them well Um, in the next three, four seasons you know Lukonga who they brought in from Anderlecht I've liked the look of him so far he looks like a player that will adapt to being a Premier League player he already looks quite good you'd think at his age with two or three more years he will turn into a very good player Ben White I'm not sure if I would have paid £50 million for him um, but he's a player that could grow um, obviously broken the England setup as well. So you'd think that that money, he might have paid a little bit too much for it, but Arsenal, if they have him for the next seven or eight years, that's not actually bad money. Um, it's just that he isn't necessarily that much of an upgrade on what they had last season in David Luiz. Uh, Odegaard, he's a player that sort of splits opinion. I've got some friends who support Arsenal quite like, and I've got some friends who support Arsenal who aren't so keen. Um, but it's a sign, and, you know, it's a player that no. And he, he obviously has talent. It's whether or not he's able to nurture that talent and and really become the player we all thought he would. Aaron Ramsdale's a weird signing. You know, I don't think anybody's... It, it's just a strange one. You know, he, is he any better than Leno? Probably not. And it's a bizarre use of resources to spend that much money on him. And then yesterday, they the, the brought in a final player who i, I got to say I don't really know that much about, but 20 million quid... Um, it didn't. It seemed to come from pretty much nowhere. Uh, Tom yesterday didn't mention that they were going to sign. I'm going to say Tommy Asu from Bologna. So overall, I think Arsenal haven't had a great window, but I do think in two or three years time, you might look back at this and say, oh, well, actually they got three or four really important cogs to their team. So long term, it might actually not be as bad as what it seems right now. I do wonder if maybe you know we're kind of looking at it in
0: just in the factors who we bought in rather than looking at who they have managed to to kind of off and I say managed to offload. You know, some of them that they didn't renew contracts. You know, David Luiz is one of them. Obviously, they made the decision to part ways with William as well to save them a bit of money. There, you look at you know some of the other players that that they aren't there for uh, for the new season. Matt Ryan's loan uh, from from. Uh, Brighton expired. Uh, Joe Willock, they got £25 million in for him as well. So you kind of, you know, when you do look at the incomings, you do think it is a, a bit of a bad winner because you don't see where, realistically, where Arsenal have improved. But then you start to look at at the outgoings. And does that change it at all for you slightly, or am I going
1: down the wrong road here? I think getting £25 million for Willock was was good business for Arsenal. I don't think he's a £25 million player. had a very good run towards the end of last season for Newcastle but I think it's probably a transfer that suits both you know Newcastle probably wanted to keep them willing to pay that money and Arsenal weren't going to use them so getting £25 million makes sense there's some weird loans you know Saliba is a player that you know Arsenal fans seem to quite like and he was sent out to Marseille and it's like well could you have not given him a chance this season is he not better than Pablo Mori I would probably say yes. Certainly if I was <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I would certainly question that decision. Um, you know, Gwen Doozy's been a pretty he's been a steady enough player to see him go out alone. It, it just feels to me as though they've they've just not really improved. I think that's the problem. I, I don't see improvement in what they've done in the summer. But as I said, in two or three years' time, we might be looking back on this a little bit more differently.
0: Yeah, I think Bellerin as well yesterday was a, was a strange one, especially when you're buying someone for twenty million. Um but quick one, one word answer or one letter answer. Well to be fair, it might be two words actually, but I don't think it's going to be A star somehow. Um <laughs> Arsenal's grade for their transfer
1: window. I think you'd probably have to give them a C plus. What about you?
0: D minus. Um, But that that might come back and bite me uh, later on in the season when one of them probably scores against Spurs in the derby. Um, Aston Villa uh, now, Connor. Another club that's had an interesting summer, a busy summer, obviously losing Jack Grealish for 100 million. Uh, A few other players like Tom Heaton, Ahmed El Mohammedi, and Neil Taylor also leaving when their contract expired but some very exciting uh, talents that they brought in. Obviously, Leon Bailey, someone that was linked with, you know, a move to one of the big six clubs previously. Uh, Emmy Buendia, someone who Arsenal were reportedly interested in. Danny Ings could have gone to Tottenham. You know, for them, for those three uh, players, at least, to to kind of beat some bigger clubs to their signatures is very impressive. Obviously, adding the experience in Ashley Young too, and Axel Turenzevi on loan from Man United. So, Villa, you would say that, yes, they've lost Jack Grealish, but they've kind of identified, I think they said that at the time, wasn't it? That, that they knew that they weren't going to splash a hundred million on one place. So it was about identifying the three things that they were going to lose from Grealish and then trying to find the players that they could buy for a hundred million uh, to replace him. It looks like they've done that.
1: Yeah. You know, Danny Ings is, is sure goals at this level. You know, he's proven himself in the premier league um, over time. He is a goal scorer. So that was good business. His age, Maybe the question mark, you know, he's, he's, he's I think he's 29, 28, 29 at the minute. So, you know, they've spent a lot of money on a player who maybe has only got a couple more years at his absolute peak. When dear you know, he's, he's been a, a very solid player for Norwich when they are in the Premier League last time. Very solid for them when they came out of the league. So that, that seems like good business. Leon Bailey, you would think would be good business, but we often see, you know, big money signings from... Europe sometimes don't work, and it could be a concern that they've spent, what, £30 million on him. Maybe it won't come off. Um, Ashley Young on a free transfer, that's a, that's a, a good bit of business for him. I mean, you think on on paper, looking at it, Villa have only really lost Ashley. Uh, they've lost Jack Grealish, really, is the main... That's the only player they're probably upset about losing. And they've brought in five players who I think they're pretty happy with so it's probably a positive for them but losing Jack Grealish means you've got to change the way you play they don't have another player like him and they've not had a, a great start to the Premier League season considering the fixtures they had so that there, there could be a concern there that it takes them a while to adjust but I think overall then our fans will be pretty happy with what they've done.
0: And and if you had to give them a grade?
1: I'd probably give
0: them a a B. probably a B. Middle of the road, probably agree with that as well. Uh, Brentford, first of the new boys that we're going to come on to. um, Players that maybe casual Premier League fans may not have heard of before obviously, Frank Onyeka, Christopher Azure from from, uh, Celtic, and Johan Visa as well from the French leagues. Um, But one thing that you can trust is that Brentford and in the way that they do go out and buy players that they have thoroughly researched these boys and these boys are the exact kind of players that they want to fit into their system, that they believe that the whole kind of money ball idea, isn't it? That they've got going on down at Brentford, that that these guys, you might not have heard of them before, but, they are going to add to their squad, and they are exactly
1: what they need. Yeah, I think whenever you've watched, I mean, seeing them with Mark Warburton when they came in the Championship all them years ago, I think it was when they they made the decision to change their approach. It took a few years for it to really work and to see the fruits of that labour. But you literally they they hit on so many transfers and make huge amounts of money um, off off buying and selling players and. Only three players, you know, brought in that that could be a concern. Normally, when you come into the Premier League, you want to add maybe a few more than that. Uh, but they haven't lost anyone, you know. They could have maybe lost Ivan Tony if, if one of the big clubs came sniffing to keep him. That's a that's a massive bonus for them. And Azure from Celtic, a player that I've I've liked for years, thought he was destined to be in the Premier League probably a little bit earlier. Um, Certainly a very good player on football manager when I've had him in the past. So if that's anything to go by, he should be a pretty solid player for Bradford. I think the, the concern is is they haven't brought in anybody who has Premier League experience. They already have a squad that's full of inexperience in the Premier League. I don't know how many games they had coming into the league for you know Premier League. Yeah, zero exactly. So <laughs> the concern there is have they got, you know, would you like to have seen them maybe bring in players who know, you know, that division a bit more. I don't know, but it could be a benefit that they don't because you've seen in the past Sheffield United came up and they had practically no Premier League experience and they and they did really well in the first year. Not so much the second, but in the first year they did very, very well. So maybe Brentford could get that surprise factor in this season and, and do quite well. So I think if you're going to rate that business, you'd probably give them a, a C just on the basis that they've kept a lot of players and the, the recruitment you would trust. and The, the only concern is, is they just haven't brought in um, Premier League experience
0: Yeah that's the funny thing because we don't know if these players like we're probably looking there saying yes yeah, see and then we'll come back at the end of the season and they've kind of finished 10th and we go actually no it was a great win though and then they got an A star instead You know, but we just don't know I think it's too early yet because there are just so many unknown quantities in that Brentford squad uh, Brighton uh, obviously touched on already that they lost Ben White to Arsenal for £50 million, but they've been busy spending that money. Uh, Enoch Moapu from Red Bull Salzburg coming in. Uh, Mark Cucurella, a uh, an eye-catching signing, I think at least, you know, kind of someone that I, I think was previously linked with Tottenham a few years back from Hitafé. Um, and Adalasima as well, someone else who's been linked uh, previously again with Tottenham and Arsenal. Uh, I think it was back in January It was linked with those moves, but he's coming on deadline day. He has immediately been loaned out to Stoke City, so he's going to get a nice introduction to English football, and we'll find out very early on, can he do it on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke? Um, but Brighton, I think, like, looking at it on, on those names that I've got in front of me, it, it's not too dissimilar to Brentford in respect that there's not really too many names that, are, again, casual, you know, football fans that that don't, you know, Watch every single minute of, of Premier League action and, and you know leagues across Europe, they're not going to know too many of those names that, that Brighton have brought in this summer.
1: No, and I think it's quite a for probably a, a career defining summer for Graham Potter in a lot of senses because last year Brighton, I think the consensus was better. They were better than what they showed in terms of points. They, they played pretty well but couldn't score. Enough goals. Yeah, I had a terrible home record as well last season. Um, so Graham Potter's has put his stamp on his team now. You know this was his second summer in. If um, I was at his third summer in, I'll try to think now. Second, third. Covid's messed third, up Third right. season, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Nineteen. So math, maths was never a strong point. We just no. <laughs> <laughs> Right at it. No. So it, Graham Potter, though he's, I feel like he's a manager who a lot of people think is going to do big things, but I don't think we've yet to see um that fully show itself. You know, at Swansea he did well, but he he left to, to go to Brighton after failing to get them promoted in that first season back in the championship. And then at Brighton he's done steady, but he hasn't really kicked them on any further than what they were um under Chris Hutton. So it would be interesting to see whether or not these players, I think it's a it's a bold approach to bring in players from Europe who haven't played Premier League games you know and we spoke about that with Brentford before the Premier League experience sometimes it can benefit you but sometimes players don't settle and if maybe three or four then players struggle to settle in which is common to happen in the Premier League and then it could be a, a tougher season for them and you know we know they've lost obviously Ben White and um, Davey Proper I was surprised to see him go as well but other than that there isn't really anyone who they've lost who You'd be particularly concerned about. So I think Brighton are probably happy with what they've done. With what they've done, i just a bit worried again about the the lack of Premier League experience coming in.
0: Uh, Burnley fans, um, this isn't, you know, any slight on your club at all, but I'm I'm, you know, scared that we're gonna have to turn into doing our own version of Dex's Midnight runners and, and come and eileen and speed things up towards the end just so that we don't run out of time with recording. Uh but we're gonna just, you know, quickly scan over them and, and give them a grade as well. Looks like kind of defensive reinforcements have really been brought in, um, which seems weird because you kind of always think that, that Burnley are a strong side defensively, so they might have needed more. But then I say that actually, they've got good attackers from Barnes and Wood. Anyway, Maxwell Corney brought in from Lyon. Nathan Collins, a centre-half from Stoke. Wayne Hennessy, a backup keeper to Nick Pope. That's definitely something that they needed because I don't think baby Peacock Farrell when he had to fill in last year for Nick Pope did did at all, but well. obviously he's on loan at Sheffield Wednesday now. Uh, and Conor Roberts, uh, a decent right back. I thought he had a very good Euro. I'm surprised maybe one or two other clubs didn't come in for him from the Premier League for, for only two and a half million. Um, so in terms of Burnley, very briefly, um, Is it have yeah? How are they going to fare with these boys? You know, kind of, are they in for another long slog this season and and trying to fight against relegation, or are they going to be, you know, the safety of mid-table a little bit more?
1: I think, you know, it's back Sean Dyche to, to get sort of 14th place. And I think Burnley are not in the worst three teams in the Premier League. I don't think just because of the manager. But I do, I worry now that the time's beginning to run out for Burnley, as in the players are getting older. Crystal Palace, you know, and we may as well lump them together now, so you will save you a little bit of time. But Crystal Palace, they've had a summer of transition whereby they've, they've got rid of so many players. It was like nine, 900 Premier League games they've lost. And they're trying to rebuild and... and reimagine themselves under a new manager I just worry with Burnley if maybe they left it a little bit too late maybe they should have done that this summer and and began to you know maybe move on some of that older generation that's been there for the last five or six seasons and try and reinvent themselves clearly they haven't there's only four players brought in and of them you know Nathan Collins I don't know if he'll be playing every single game young centre-back from Stoke Cornet. It's the problem again is as he's coming in you see this sort of signing happen all the time these players come in from Europe with quite a reputation and, and then the struggle to settle in initially so it might take him a while to really you know get going and Conor Roberts you know as we said before he's young he's coming in he's done well so far in his career but will he be able to start every single game probably not um, so I do worry a little bit about Burnley I don't think they've had a great window <laughs> Chelsea, uh, next up on our hit list, um,
0: obviously they they splashed the money on Romelu Lukaku, £97.5 million pounds for him. Uh, but then yesterday as well, deadline day bringing in Saul Niguez, uh, Marcus Bettinelli as well on a free transfer from Fulham, but really we'll only focus on, on Lukaku and Saul here. Only two signings, but two signings that you would very much say have kind of, it, it's one of those that like kind of compared to Arsenal where they've kind of gone out and bought what is it, six, seven players. This is very much uh, less for a scattergun approach. Less is more, I think, in, in Chelsea's uh, view that they've kind of looked at the areas and especially in attack, looking at where they just need someone to come in, score the goals, finish off the moves. They've identified him and they're happy to spend big on
1: him. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. The Champions of Europe and they've not lost anyone of note. They haven't lost a first team player, one that you'd immediately say was in the eleven, and they've added two players that should start in. So, it's a fantastic window. You know, there's no other way of putting it. And Thomas Tuchel, since he's came in, has completely changed the perception of a lot of those Chelsea players. You know, I look at Antonio Rudiger. He's like a new sign in now. The way he played against Liverpool um, at the weekend, you're just like, wow, he is a, a world-class centre-back who, you know, should be the leading centre-back for the best team in Europe. And Chelsea, I think, maybe not the best team in Europe on paper but it certainly wouldn't surprise me come the end of the season if we're looking at Premier League and European champions you know I think they're that good um, and the, the fact that they've been able to get rid of so many players as well for big money is you know testament to them because they've, they've been able to pay for their transfer business they have not they're not in the the red with it they're in the black so fair play I think they've had probably the best window in the Premier League
0: the, the only thing I would say, though, is that some of the players that they did ship out were young players, and they've still got a few, you know, the likes of Ross Barkley, that kind of Deadwood, that are still there on, on big wages that aren't necessarily going to be used as much. Um, something I'm not really saying that Emerson is still there. I mean, I know he had a great uh Euros, I'm just trying to get it. No, yeah. he's, he there, I mean, yeah. there we go. Well, that, that's that's what winning the Euros does for you, it gets you a nice little <laughs> win to France instead. Um but one team as well that's kind of another team that's been through more of a transitional phase at least. I mean, we touched on Crystal Palace already briefly, so we can we can scoop past them, bless them. They'll they'll have fun this year, like you said with Burnley, kind of trying to replace a lot of experience that they've lost. But Everton, uh, an interesting case for me. Um, they've got an owner who's worth two point eight billion, and yet they spent a grand total of one point six million in the transfer window. Definitely shopping in the bargain basement this time, but looks like it's kind of working from the early few weeks of the season, doesn't it? And um, Damari Gray is, is, you know, someone who didn't really set the world on fire previously at Leicester, went out to buy Leverkusen and had six months there and has come back. But he, he looks like he's got a bit between his teeth at Everton. And then you've got others like Andros Townsend who can add some experience. Solomon Rondon, goes everywhere he's been, even in the Premier League in the past, and, and linking up with Rafa Benitez. Again, these might be some cheap deals, but they could be some very good deals for Everton.
1: Yeah, I think... Um... One thing I'd noticed from Rafael Benitez when he was at Newcastle is he actually operates better with less money. Um, sometimes when you give him money, he will waste it. Newcastle, when they came out the championship, they spent an absolute fortune to get out that division and spent it on poor players. You know, I think like Grant Hanley came in, he bought quite a few Spanish players who literally just never played games. When you give him money, he goes a bit crazy. So I think Everton... I think they've probably taken a smart approach this summer, uh, let him assess the squad. We know they're not going to be in relegation danger. We know that they're somewhere between 13th and 8th in the league and that, that's where they'll finish under uh, Benitez. This gives him a chance uh, to assess everything. He got Rondon in, which, you know, he's a player that he loves for whatever reason. <laughs> Desperate to get him at Newcastle, probably the reason why he left it, he didn't get him. So... It's not it's it's not a flashy window from Everton, but I do think that every single player is going to serve a purpose. I think Begovic being cover for Pickford makes a lot of sense because we all know Pickford certainly at club level is quite hit and miss. So him having an experienced backup like Begovic is only going to benefit him. And you know, as you said before, Tamari Gray, it just looks like small business. When I saw him leaving at uh, Leicester when he went to buy Leverkusen, I was confused, and to see him now. Coming back to the Premier League for 1.6 million. It just looks like very, very good business. And the outgoings, there's nothing really that sticks out other than the fact Theo Walcott's gone. He didn't do anything at Everton. Yannick Balassi, they spent, what, 30 million on a few years ago, and he, he's been terrible for them. Oh, and Moise the event, but he's been poor for Everton. So there's nothing really to note outgoing. They have strengthened by the fact they haven't lost players. So it's not a great window, but it's not the worst. So another kind of B-1 for you there, middle of the road. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Leeds, uh, obviously great in their first season back in the Premier League, trying to build on that, trying to kind of kick on, go higher up the table. Uh, Junior Firpo uh, left back in from Barcelona for £13 million. Dan James as well, deadline-based signing from Man United for 29 million, two and a half years after he was first uh, abortively presented. Is that word abortively? It is now uh, presented as a Leeds player. And obviously it'd it gone as far as doing the interview, hadn't it? it They'd got him in the shirts and stuff and then it all just collapsed. But they got it over the line at least yesterday. No no repeat of that. Um a couple of others: Jack Harrison uh, making that low move that he's had for the last couple of years, permanent as well. Christopher Clarson and Lewis Bates, are young players that the Leeds fans have got high hopes for. Have have they improved?
1: Um, I mean, Dan James is a is a big name. Um, is he better than what they've got currently? It's to be seen, but I don't think he's he doesn't move the needle that much. I was surprised they spent twenty five million pounds on him. Um, Jack Harrison. It's it's good to have him permanently signed, but it, it's not an improvement because they already had him. Junior Firpo from Barcelona—that's a bit of a wild card signing for them. You know, we you don't know how that will necessarily play out. And then the other players they've brought in—I don't think are necessarily going to be in and around the first team straight away. I do worry a little bit for Leeds because they've got Bielsa, who hasn't stuck around at a club for more than two seasons, other than Leeds. You know, and it feels like this year they've not started necessarily well I've watched the Man United game they were dreadful they were poor at the weekend against Burnley and were probably fortunate to get a point so I have a little bit of concern about Leeds that they haven't done enough in the window and I'm I'm a bit worried what happens if maybe they don't have a good September whether or not Bielsa will stick around
0: Moving on to Leicester now, uh, the, the eye-catching signing for them is obviously Patson and Daka, £23 million from Red Bull Salzburg, again, someone who was linked with some of the bigger clubs in the Premier League. I, I feel like I'm almost saying that disparagingly to Leicester. They finished above more, more clubs than than some of the bigger ones last year and they've won FA Cups more recently than Tottenham um, probably would the rest of them because obviously they only won it in May. Um, but, yeah, and Daka coming in, uh, Bubakai Samari as well, another player uh, who's been linked with a Premier League move in the past. Um, but then interestingly, I think as well, filling out other positions, adding depth to it, you know, Ryan Burchand in at left back. I mean, he could easily start for him, but but they've got Luke Thomas there as well. Yannick Vestergaard offering some, some good cover at centre half and then Adamola Lookman on the wings. It's it's weird, isn't it, that how Adamola Lookman used to play for Everton. This is going off a complete tangent here, but obviously he used to play for Everton, ended up at RB Leipzig, and a very similar player to Damari Gray, who is now at Everton but was previously at Leicester. I mean Why don't they just both keep them? Who knows? But Leicester's business on the whole, I think the the biggest thing for them uh, that most people have touched on is previous windows, last few windows, they've lost someone big, you know, be it Chilwell, be it Maguire. They've always lost a a big name, Mares, you know, Kante. There's always been that one big name to go that's been key to that part. But they've managed to keep hold of of their best players this summer. And that's probably the best bit of business that they've done.
1: Yeah, I I like what Leicester's done. It's what Bendon Rodgers and Leicester. seem to do is, is just continually add bits of quality throughout the team and you look at every single player, well certainly Dakar and Samar, you'd look at them to and say right okay they're going to be probably consistent players for them for the next few years and they did that with Telemans and indeed here as well that just players that you know are going to get better and better and better with time and I feel like they've they've continually done that in the market and that's what they have went to do this summer with them too is that their main signings. Bertrand it's it's a cover signing, isn't it? Investor gods, exactly the same. Luckman, I think they're probably just taking a gamble on him and thinking that he might do something. And you're right, on the outgoings there's nothing really um to note. You know, they they literally haven't lost anybody other than maybe Dennis Pratt, but he wasn't really moving the needle for them anyway.
0: So that's halfway through the Premier League roundup, 10 clubs gone, 10 clubs to go. First up in the second half, we've got Liverpool, just the one big name incoming for them, Ibrahima Conate, but addressing an area where they definitely need to, you know, this this now means hopefully, as long as he doesn't suffer some of his similar injury fates to Liverpool's other centre-halves, that we don't have to see Fabinho and Jordan Henderson as a pairing any longer. Um they did lose some big names, losing Jeannie Wijnaldum on a free transfer. I think it's going to be a big blow for them. Um, getting money, though, for Jordan Shakiri and, and decent money for Harry Wilson as well. Michael Grijic, someone who never really had a chance at Liverpool. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the middle of the road window, isn't it?
1: It's good, but it could have been perhaps better. Yeah, I think Liverpool are arguably weaker. Than when they came into it, I think losing aldrum is it's going to have a, an impact. He's been so consistent for them for five years. to To lose him for free, you know, just it's just poor. Really, I, I reckon they could have had him if they really desperately wanted to keep him. And obviously, they decided against it. They've made up for that by signing Jordan Henderson. Not going to allow him to go on a free, which I think's good business. But just to bring in a centre back this summer, when you see what the other teams have done. Um, around them you know look at what Manchester United have done who will come on look at what Chelsea have done I don't know I just I feel like it's a little bit underwhelming and I think Liverpool might regret not maybe going out and buying one or two other bits of quality
0: Uh, man City have brought in definite quality. Uh, the, summer, the the transfer that everyone's been talking about all summer, the former Aston Villa man making the move to the Etihad. Of course, I'm talking about Scott Carson signing on a free transfer from Derby. But then there was also the small matter of Jack Grealish becoming the first Englishman to go for £100 million. There was one thing, though, that Man City needed in this window. As good as Jack Grealish is, they needed that striker. They've lost Sergio Aguero. I know they spent most of the last season playing with a false nine and they still scored a hat hatful of goals, but you can say that it was great for them to sign Grealish, but there, there is always going to be that slight against this transfer window for them, isn't there, Connor? that Harry Kane didn't join or any other striker, you know, just to be the man to, to kind of really force and make them that force, really make them that dominant force in Europe and, and possibly, as you said, for Chelsea, where they can might maybe win uh, a European and, and league double... City could have really, really hammered home that point with a with a striker, couldn't they? This summer,
1: yeah, and I think you saw on the opening day against Tottenham. You know, had they had that top level striker, maybe they win that game and create a lot of chances. Um, I think you spoke about uh, after the, that game how Tottenham had forced them out wide, and there was just nobody in the middle to finish off the chances. And I, I worry that Man City have watched Chelsea add. That striker, and they've watched Man United add that striker and Ronaldo, and United already had a plethora of options as well up front. In Man City, you know Gabriel Jesus isn't, isn't the answer. I think Ferran Torres is a player they're looking at to play as a striker, but I don't think he's going to score the amount of goals and have the contribution that Romelu Lukaku is going to have at Chelsea. Like the reality is, is Man City are competing. I would say this season for the title mainly with Chelsea. And I think Chelsea have got a world-class striker and Man City lack in that department. I mean, it's all well and good having the best wingers in the world, but they've got nobody to cross to. You're not going to score (laughs) goals. (laughs) That's the reality of it. Last season, they did very well, you know, without playing a striker. Liverpool have done very well in the past. I I know Firmino does play a striker, but he's not a traditional striker in the sense that Romelu Lukaku is. Maybe Man City can continue to sort of defy the need for that striker, but I, I do really worry because you know Chelsea in particular Adam Lukargu, you think that they're probably a little bit stronger than Man City now it mean, might be a little bit of a bold claim but I, I think Chelsea genuinely are um 1 to 11 better than Man City because of that signing It's interesting there that you've said about who's fighting
0: for the title Man City and Chelsea are duking it out because when the next club that we're going to talk about is Man United and I think you can't Say otherwise that they are probably the winners of this transfer window. When you look at the quality that they brought in, so what are you suggesting there that by saying that City and Chelsea are in the tight race that for for all this Man United bringing in Jaden Sancho, bringing in Rafael Varane, and of course the return of Cristiano Ronaldo, that they're still just a little bit away from the from from a title challenge for you?
1: Yeah, and I think the main reason for that is is the need that another year. You know, I think Ronaldo's came in; he's not had a preseason there. I know he's a freak of nature, but that doesn't mean that he isn't going to suffer from not playing the you know, the style that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer plays. And he's going to have to fit in the way Manchester United play. He's got so much competition as well, Solskjaer in that, that final third. Cavani, Ronaldo, Greenwood, Rashford, Martial. There's so many players in there. How do you fit them all in? How do you keep everyone happy? I just think Manchester United are probably next season, you would think they're going to be the team to beat this season. I just think Man City and Chelsea have got their style of play ingrained. I think they've had more consistency within their team. Jack Grealish is the only main addition to Manchester City, and it doesn't take that long for one player alone. But if you've got five, or, well, in Manchester United's case, you've got three starting players who are learning that system. And so much, it's not necessarily upheaval, but there is more change in their squad compared to Man City. And Chelsea so I think that's why Man United are probably third or fourth I think it wouldn't surprise us if they did have a good season and won the league but I don't think they're with Chelsea and Man City interesting
0: interesting Um Newcastle don't think we've really got too much to say on them we covered it earlier about Joe Willock
1: um, not being yeah. worth £25 million I think they've had the worst window of every team <laughs> in the league they've, they've not improved they've added in a player that they had on loan They've brought in a, I presume a PR move By bringing in the guy Who had the same name As the guy from the film <laughs> I don't I don't understand What they were doing And Steve The thing is They're going to have Steve Bruce as much as they want But if he's not going to Get back in the transfer window Then what are they expecting Like he's going to end up Finishing at best This season 13th And That's a good season For them Considering they've Literally added nothing From what they had last season So I think Newcastle's had the 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 worst window In the Premier League For that reason on
0: the
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say yeah with your with your completely unbiased view
0: um I mean, if you were great and you probably give them a fail by the sounds of it
1: uh,
0: <laughs> um Norwich, similar, I think, in respect to Brentford, brought in far more players, but um players from around the continent you're not really sure if they're going to do well. I mean, they don't look like right. they've, they've settled and started too great uh, in this season as so well. It just looks like the same old Norwich that we had two years ago, doesn't it? That have not learned any mistakes. And you know, the only one that really probably stands out on that list, maybe Ozan Kabat because he was, was at Liverpool last year. Uh, Miller Oshika, someone again, that's been linked before a, a move to a big six club before Billy Gilmore on loan, but you, you go through that list and, there's no one that really kind of stands out. And you kind of worry for them again, With with despite the fact that they brought in so many players that, that the squad just isn't good enough to compete in the Premier League once again.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even say I'm worried about them because the, the intention of the club is to come up and come down. That's, that's what they want to do. You know, if they stay up, it's a bonus. But I don't think the owners at Norwich and the manager, isn't there any illusion that their expectation this season is to just be Touch and survival but never actually quite get there that they don't add players they they sell you know and there's nothing wrong with that business model but if you want to have sustained success in the Premier League that's not the way to do it Um, you would say that the favourites to get relegated and there's nothing in that transfer business which suggests that they're going to be anything more than bottom of the league come the end of the season (laughs) Southampton, an, an interesting one.
0: Um, some people think that they'll be all right under Ralph, Hars and uh, others think that their transfer business um and the fact that they've they've really gone after youngsters this summer as well, you know, kind of like Satina Livramento, Thierry Small, Roman Perrault, not the most experienced uh, defenders in the world of mind their brochure on loan from Chelsea as well. Um Adam Armstrong too, uh, which happens to be missing from this beautiful list that I've got in front of me. So yeah, so that was nearly an awkward moment. Um Armstrong days hit the ground running at least, but it's it, it, Southampton are another one of those, aren't they? That you kind of look at it and you probably want a few more weeks first before you can say whether or not they've had a good window and whether or not these players are are going to help progress them because they're so young. Not much is known about them.
1: Yeah, and I think I saw a stat where you know they were were well, the top of the league at some point last season, like November, December time, and the top of
0: the league, league as well. Look what happened there. You know, it, yeah. it meant nothing last year. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> but they, they've had the worst form since that point. Uh, I think Ralph Hasenhuttl is probably one of the managers in the league who you wouldn't be surprised to see gone by Christmas. And I, I look at what they've done in the transfer window, and I do worry because you've lost, you know, one of the best strikers in the league, and you've replaced him with Adam Armstrong, who does does look good, but he's not going to score. You wouldn't think twenty goals this season, and. You know, as, as brilliant as he might be for them, he's got such big shoes to fill. in Danny Ings, it's not fair to expect him to do that straight away. So I worry that Southampton are gonna struggle this season. You know, losing Ryan Bertrand on a free transfer just it, it doesn't. That's a poor bit of business. You know, you've got to do your best to keep a player like him. He's been there for years. He's a very very capable left back. And I, I just I fear that they're they're in for a, a tough season. Moving from a team that topped the league at one point
0: last year to the team that currently tops the league now. Tottenham, uh, likes of Christian Romero, Brian Hill, Emerson Royale have all come in. But interestingly, they've managed to make it to the top of the league without any of them starting so far for Spurs. And crucially, uh, in terms of outgoing, so I don't see Harry Kane's name anywhere underneath there. Obviously, he was the, the, con- he was the big summer saga, wasn't he, this year? Um, didn't get that move that he wanted away from Spurs probably to Man City in the end that he was hoping for, that didn't materialise. And likewise, with Leicester keeping hold of their best players, that's probably the best bit of business for Spurs as well, that Harry Kane is is there for another season. And it doesn't look like he's throwing a strop as well, does it? You know, when he came back into the squad, played against Pachos, uh, scored twice, could have scored at the weekend, were it not for a good defensive touch from Watford. So it doesn't look like he's going to phrase toys at the pram this year and, and that he is still going to give his all for Spurs
1: yeah and I think that's exactly you know that's exactly what Tottenham would have wanted they've been able to keep that that star player I think in a what could have been a, a severe season of transition had he left I think Tottenham without Harry Kane this year with a new manager may have been looking at uh, an Arsenal style mid-table finish um, I think this year they've probably got a very good chance of finishing fifth um, simply because they seem to have started quite well I think Nuno Espirito Santo is a good manager at organising his team they won't take you know many heavy defeats um, against the big boys which I think they've, they've been susceptible to in the past I, I think Tottenham have got a good chance of, of having a, a pretty good season I would love to see them target a cup um, they've spent years you know I think uh, whenever they've been into a cup final in the last sort of three or four years within the Champions League under Pochettino I mean, I know the League Cup wasn't
0: great this year, but we were in the final of that. You know? Oh, yeah, you I mean, were. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like, It's not, yeah, 2008 was the last time that, that we won a trophy. And yeah, no, you're spot on. Like with the money that we've we've spent, you know, I, yeah, I don't get what, I mean, you know, I'd happily
1: take the Europa Conference League and dance around the streets of Tirana in May, to be fair. Yeah, but well, I think Tottenham need to be, you know, winning trophy. I mean, the disappointment from that Pochettino era was they don't have anything to show for it. They've got memories. You know, memories of uh, getting to the the final. Um, but memories, you know, they're, they're not trophies and, and that's what yeah. they need. So I think it's been a positive summer for Tottenham. And it's hard to say, you know, you don't know how Christian Romero is going to fit in. You don't know how Brian Gill is going to f- uh, fit in. Papi Matasar is out on loan this season. So it'll be next year before you see him and Emerson Royale from Barcelona. Um, one of the weirder transfers, considering he moved to Barcelona earlier this window, he's played three games for them and left. It'll be interesting to see how they settle in, but I think just keeping Harry Kane and, and Son as well, who signed his new contract, is, is just big, big for Tottenham.
0: Watford uh, next up. And as always, they've they've had a big summer. There's always a big turnover at Watford, isn't it? No matter how they've done it, if they've had a bad season turnover, a good season turnover, it's, it's just the way that kind of things happen at Watford. But I will say that looking through the list of players, there are some players that are a lot more familiar than perhaps where Norwich have, have gone out and bought players from across the continent you know, Watford have done similar, but Ozan Tufan is a name that I'm I'm familiar with. Manuel Dennis, I think, scored for Club Bruges uh, at the Burnabout. Might have scored twice in the Champions League. I could be wrong. He definitely scored once and it was a great goal as well. Um, and then adding Josh King a bit more experience up top as well, You do always kind of think when you are signing, you know, as you said about Man United, that that the issue with them is that they've signed three starters and it's about how you bed them in and how you, how they kind of, how long it takes them to get used to to a new style. And yes, Watford might have brought in names that you're more accustomed with and aware of and, and kind of expect them to be good. But it's the same issue, isn't it? When you bring in 10 players and just go, right, you know, get on with everyone. These are the tactics. These are your new teammates. Go out there and play.
1: Yeah, and I think Musa was missing off this list as well. But he, he is. He is happy this Musa Sissoko. I don't know. But I think, you know, the thing with Watford is is when they got relegated uh, from the Premier League last time, it was kind of out of nowhere. I don't think anyone really thought they were in danger of of going down at the start of that season. Um would know that trigger happy. And you would worry for that manager who's already number two favorite to get sacked. Despite you know winning the opening day of the season, you'd worry that they've brought in so many players, so much turnover of players as well. You know they've, they've let go of so many players um, and they're out. It's such a huge amount of change after getting promoted that you'd worry that maybe it's a little bit too much. But you know they have hit diamonds in the past. It wouldn't surprise me if a couple of these players you know turn into a Dukure or. <laughs> They've had so many good players like that in the past. Um, I think the other thing as well, losing Troy Deeney. Yes, it's a free transfer. Yes, he's not the player he once was, but he is uh, a, he is the heart and soul of that football club. And to, to lose him, I think, could be a big blow for them. And I think letting him go on deadline day it, it, it didn't really sit right with me. I think he would have been better saved, being an impact substitution on the bench for them.
0: And, and definitely being like a, a presence around the squad as well, just his, his kind of character and the way that he would have driven them on. Uh, West Ham, last season surprise package. It looked for a while that they were going to have a bit of a bad window, um, and then in the final week, it all just seemed to kick into life, and didn't it? Uh, Nikola Vlasic from CSKA Moscow, Kurt Zuma from Chelsea as well. Definitely a, a big defensive upgrade that I think they needed um, at West Ham. Uh, Alex Krow, another uh, Czech lad. You know they've they've almost got the Czech national team now, isn't it? Between him, Sutchek, and Sufell. Um it's it, it's been a another solid window for West Ham, but you do still wonder whether or not they did need to go and and find a striker. Because if Mikel Antonio does pick up an injury and he is injury prone, there is that risk. West Ham are going to be lacking in goals somewhat and and kind of scratching around trying to find someone to actually play in that position.
1: Yeah. And I think that is the concern, but I I also think West Ham are kind of, they're almost unexpected. I think even for themselves to be in the position that they're in last year, they had a phenomenal season. Um, David Moyes is, a manager who they initially did not like, you know, he was not well liked by West Ham supporters and that, they're, they're warming to him, you know, I think now they would say they almost like him, which is quite a contrast to when they had him the first time in the, the pretty much hounded him out. I think they've got a, a strong team, you know, Suchek keeping him was, was as huge for them as, as, any other player they would have brought in. Um How players like wasage settle in, it's going to be, Imperative because I've mentioned it a few times on this, but you just don't know when you sign a player from Europe or anywhere else in the world how well they're going to fit in. And spending 33 and a half million on him is a lot of money, um, and it, I would just worry in case it takes him a little while to settle in. Kurt Zuma, he's a player that I like, I feel like he hasn't fulfilled his potential. At Chelsea, he's been, you know, he had that horrendous injury a few years, well, probably about six, six or seven years ago now. He had that horrendous injury. Um, he's never really, I don't think, established himself enough in that Chelsea team. But at West Ham, he's likely to be the go to centre back. And I think you could see him turn into the player that we all expected him to be at Chelsea. So I think that's a that's a pretty good bit of business. And in terms of outgoings, you know, Philippe Anderson spent a lot of money on him. I don't think it quite worked out. There isn't really any other player on that list that I think they're going to miss all that much. Uh,
0: and last, but by no means least, Wolves, um, alphabetically on this list, propping up the rear. Um, he Chang Huang from RB Leipzig on loan. Uh, Francisco Chinchao from Barcelona on loan as well. And Jose Saar from Olympiacos. They're the kind of three signs they've had. Obviously, Saar was coming into to replace Rui Patricio. He's left to join Jose Mourinho's Roma as they're now known. Um, but in terms of the other two signings, there's definitely been a lot of talk around Europe about these two players being exciting players. But the fact that, that there'll almost be a bit of disappointment for Wolves that they're only on loan because they're only there to, to kind of, own. they've got the option with Huang to, to sign him. But a loan is for you to develop that player for the parent club. They're not going to be they're not going to be yours for the foreseeable future, and that might be the the only issue for Wolves in that these two impress. I don't think their parent
1: clubs will be uh will be too happy to let them go. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly it. I think you fit the nail on the head there. I think the one concern with Wolves is, is they've had a pretty poor start the season, but despite playing well, I think they are top of the the XG table. That's
0: um, the one they all want to be
1: top of. Yeah, yeah, not the real TO, the XG TO. That's where, yeah, that's where the, the money's won. But I think Wolves have played quite well. But the, the concern is, is you know, when you have a bad start and you've actually played okay, that can probably get in your head a little bit. They have been unfortunate with the fixture list. You know, I think they have, were handed quite a, a difficult um, start of the season. You would worry, though, after last year, they had a disappointing year. You know, the, the consistency with, with Nuno there for a few years has, has been quite a change. The concern would be is, you know, will they be able to maintain the momentum they had pre-COVID? And you know, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think we'll see the season. But I don't think they're in for um the kind of season they had under Nuno when they first came into the Premier League. I think that they're possibly gonna struggle. I don't think they'll get relegated, but I think they're possibly gonna struggle much more this season. And there's nothing in their transfer business that uh strikes me as saying that they're, you know, gonna take themselves to the next level. Connor,
0: we're just about out of time now, thankfully, for uh, the, the roundup that we've had for the Premier League clubs. Going through all 20 there, a mammoth effort, but we've just about done it. Uh, Of course, you can keep up to date between now and the opening of the January transfer window across the Daily Star, Daily Mirror, Daily Express and all of Reach's regional titles as well. Uh, As I said at the top of the show, the days are ticking down, you know, less than, what is it, four months, three months to go. Um, You know, we've already proven that maths are not a strong point, so who knows how many months are left to go. Uh, But the January window is just around the corner uh, and I, for one, can't wait.